Hello, and welcome to Scaling Enterprise Agility, a podcast brought to you by Accenture and Atlassian, because it's all about how businesses can be more adaptive and responsive to the ever-increasing rate of change around us. I'm Nick Polk, your host and business agility practice leader at Accenture, and we're recording here from the Agile Australia Conference in Sydney. Today, I'm joined by Becca Herring to talk about all things DevX, platform engineering, and Agile. So welcome, Becca. It's nice to have you on. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Would you like to start by introducing yourself professionally and personally for us? So my name is Mirka Herring. I look after the software engineering practice here in, in Australia and New Zealand. And I'm also the global DevOps lead for Accenture. So I've been with the firm for 20 years, always looking for the right ways of supporting organizations in their search for productivity, for solving customer problems, and really bringing agile, DevOps, tech, all those things together for our customers. Okay, it sounds like you've done a lot over the past 20 years. How did it all start for you? So I actually, um, funny enough, like before I joined Accenture 20 years ago, I did a master's in artificial intelligence, kind of, what was cool. Um, so that obviously, as you can imagine, there's a lot of stuff coming back now that for my old university books, but after uni, I ended up joining Accenture really just for a year of consulting. And then I realized that it's actually a pretty cool place where you're doing consulting with organizations, helping them solve their problems. And I'm a problem solver. So for me, it was initially it was what we called development architecture, then Agile came up, then DevOps, then SRE, then cloud. And it's all just tools. Like, you know, like my tool belt got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I could solve more complex problems. So I've been doing this for the last 20 years. I've worked with amazing people in the firm and in the industry. I made many friends and I, I still love how we are all collaborating and you can see it here at Agile Australia to just solve the problems, right? There's no holding back. There's so many problems to solve that no organization can solve it by themselves. And what was the one moment in your career when it was like, there's a better way to do things. This Agile, this DevOps way of working is the way we should be doing things going forward. When was that moment for you? So it was probably about 10 years ago or so. I always, I always believed in engineering. I was coming out as a deep engineer, but for IBM before I went back and did my master's. Um, they always believed in engineering, but the devil said was natural. But I was sitting in a team where we were trying to do a very big tech implementation. And there was this guy that I hired in as a contractor who talked to me about Agile. And every muscle in my body rejected it. You know, you can imagine I'm from Germany, so very kind of structured and thinking. And this guy kept telling me, just explain to people the problem. Let them solve it themselves. Let them self-organize. What is this guy all about? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, this is going to be mayhem. Yeah. But I worked with him for like two years and kind of came around to it. And then honestly, like just seeing the pride that I had in the team picking up things and just doing it without me telling them, not walking around, checking on the project plan and stuff. Just really kind of like, yeah, that is a magic potion. Turned out it was a bit harder than expected. Yep. It's not just let them lose and let them solve problems. Um, but certainly, like, from there on, I kind of realized that Agile is, is the absolutely core ingredient for what we need to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And now, now technology is coming more and more at the forefront of businesses. Yeah, Most companies are now technology companies, if nothing else. So the engineering capabilities getting more prominence in organizations than they have typically done in the past. How are you seeing that play out? Yeah, there's the old saying that every organization is a software organization, right? I think that, that is true. And I had a couple of conversations here in the hallway track with people where we talked about like, they seem to be losing quite a bit of that interest in this kind of coachy coaching. And I think there's a huge focus back on, on just engineering and delivery. Um, and honestly, if you think about it, we created incredible capability over the last few years, the cloud, 
like open source, microservices, now take AI into it, take, you know, the machine learning stuff that we already had a while ago. So there's a lot of extra capability. Five years ago, 10 years ago, you had like quarterly releases. Yeah. I could ask you as a release manager, what are you going to do? And you would like version six of this product, version eight of that product. You could name it. You can't do that anymore. There's so many more components, so much quicker. If someone tells me they can manually govern IT, I don't believe them. Right? There's just too much going on, too many components, too many not synchronized release cycles between your hardware, your software, your own customer solutions. So I think there's a real need to find technology answers to that, that allow you to worry about solving the business problem while the technology side is abstracted away. For me, the thing that has come up over the last two years is platform engineering or developer experience as an answer to that. It is the developer should focus on solving business problems with software and all the other bits we take away. So the security approved templates, the tools that you should use, you should need to make them all go away. So how do you unencumber them from the organizational anchor to deliver? There's this beautiful term that I had never heard before, like three years ago, cognitive load, right? Which is really what drags people away from solving their problem and worrying about the red tape, the document they have to fill in, all the other stuff in the organization that, that, that prevents you from doing things. And I think this, the term cognitive load kind of really describes what we're trying to get rid of with jeans like how can i focus you on understanding your customers solving a business problem and everything else sort of disappears well it gets distracted away from you yeah so really at the heart of what you're talking about is how do we get our engineers working and productive as quickly as possible yeah in the spirit of agility what have you seen in that space for engineers to deploy code for instance yeah i started as an engineer i feel with the engineers that have to do all this other stuff that has nothing to do with writing code there's only two things the developer should do. Understand the problem and solve the problem. And everything else should go away. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not necessarily where, where organizations are because they have all these you know, different tool sets and it's tricky to solve. We had many, 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 many attempts at creating enterprise by tool set, right? And yeah, right? but they were so restrictive that then the developers tried to find ways around it. Yeah. I went to the cloud, created their own cloud instance or, you know, created their own SaaS instance of, of the software. So, Finding that tension and the right space between centralizing and having common controls, but the flexibility for developers, that's really the trick. And where we are now is in that kind of platform engineering movement where people start to agree on reference architectures and saying, we have to think about this as a product. Our product that we built is the platform that our developers use to solve our customer problems. Right? And so as soon as you put your developers in the spot of a customer for an internal product, you really change the mindset. Yeah. Right? And as soon as you start thinking, developers are not here to make mistakes and I have to restrain them. And I have to really consider how can I get them to do their job the best way. It's just a really material mind shift. Yeah. And how do we give them the tools as well, right? To win the day. And, and the visibility, the right? So that they know like, okay, this piece of code that I put together has these vulnerabilities or has, has failed these tests. Nothing is more frustrating. And you and me have recently been in an organization where it takes weeks for feedback. Yeah. Right? I write a developer, I write code, and then six weeks later, I get feedback that there's a defect in it. Right? At that point, you've moved on. Well, else moved on. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, I'm already solving different problems. Yeah. Right? And for a long time, we had the situation, the organization had a security team, for example, that sits separately. So you write code, the security team three months later reviews something, and then comes to someone else and says, hey, you need to fix this. Because it's impossible to find at that point who actually created it. Oh, it's completely out of context. 
So creating that visibility and allowing developers to really solve the problem, understand how good they are, and creating that mastery. And if you're from Dan Pink, the, the ability to really see how you're getting better at something requires you to get faster. And that's what we need to establish. And that all the tools should be for that purpose. Yeah, agree wholeheartedly. The engineers obviously put into an org organization, we're establishing that. What's your recommendation to executives to create a world-class engineering capability? What do they need to think about? I think one thing that we really need to think about is the career experience of developers or engineers. Because I think for too long, people have looked for nearly like a one stream career model where, you know, you're an engineer, then you become a team lead, then become a project manager, program manager, and executive. And realistically, we should start thinking about different career models. There are people who enjoy that and they want to worry about the business side of it, managing teams. But there's others who are just incredibly good engineers. We need to look for ways, and we do this in our firm, to really establish kind of more senior engineering levels where individual contributors who work on those reference architectures that I mentioned before, who create blueprints, who create accelerators, who are really engineers. It also goes the other way. We put engineers into a slot that they own platform engineering, which is very much a product management role. Yeah. Engineers don't necessarily know what is best for engineers, as funny as it is, right? So you need to really have that as a completely different way. So you have engineers, really core for your product, for your customers. You have the people who worry about your engineering community and enabling them, both technology-wise, process-wise, governance-wise. And then you have the people who go down more of the business path to actually have the commercial governance around it and really solve well, budgeting and funding and you know, all those kind of things. Might shift gears now a little bit and talk about DevOps. It'd be remiss of me not to be the global DevOps lead. And you've literally written the book on it, DevOps for the Modern Enterprise. Do you just want to share a little bit with the listeners around what that book is about or what the intention was in writing that book? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I found incredibly frustrating, and I love the DevOps community, but a lot of the early DevOps books I picked up were basically books that said, this is how it should be done differently. Like, you know, more culture, break down silos, right? And so a lot of the books didn't describe what you can do. And so the reason I wrote my book was every chapter at the end has exercises you can do in your organization. It's the same stuff I do with my clients, I do internally, and I wanted to bring this really practical aspect to it and basically really like a workbook. Like yeah. you have like, you know, a bit of theory and then you have some exercises you can run with your team. So you can bring it into action, you, you can learn from it. And that has certainly been the, my, my intention. The other thing that I was very, very passionate about is trying to find a way of writing a book that is timeless. And that is really hard in technology because there's new trends coming up all the time. But the underlying threads haven't changed. Right? We're trying to optimize the same process. We still have to stand up infrastructure and deploy applications, do testing. So really staying in that kind of middle space so that I'm not having to worry about is SRE still a thing or is platform engineering, is that still a thing in three years' time? So trying to stay timeless and just focus on core problems. I was going to ask, you wrote that before COVID. Coming out of the pandemic, would you have changed anything out of the book? I think the book is still relevant. And I, I see that one of the absolute pleasures it is to see people like just today, someone popped up from Colombia with like a snippet of my book on LinkedIn. And one of those anecdotes that I put in the book of my personal experience, I'm like, that is awesome. That makes you feel really good. Of course I would change it. My the book was written at a point in time when I still believe um, that decentralization is the stronger force. And now realizing that decentralization creates just so much noise that you have to be really careful with how far you go. It's that balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's that balance. So I think I would spend a bit more time on governance and what you can do to create governance that is 
stable but flexible enough. I was just writing an article for a journal in Germany and I talk about this kind of breathing in, breathing out. Right? So you breathe in and you let experiments run and then you come back and then, okay, which of these work, which one didn't? And maybe standardize a bit more. You prune a couple of branches, right? And then you do that exercise again and again. So that process of how you govern that is probably what I would spend a bit more time on. Yeah. And then how do you do that in a regulated industry? Many of our clients that we work with or organizations out there are heavily regulated. Have you yeah. given much thought to that breathe in, breathe out model in a regulated environment? So there's this, there's this beautiful thing at the moment, which is called governance as code. And it's trying to do pretty much attestations in code so that you don't have to worry about validating and confirming that you have done the right checks and controls. I think it's pretty new and it feels like it's still a bit cumbersome, but I know some of the guys who are working in that space and that's fascinating to me. I mean, down to that they've written the language and there's a, a book called Investment Unlimited that tries to describe some of that. It's definitely possible, but you have to think about it. And you have to create this kind of common layer of language of process that everyone has to subscribe to. Right? And I think what has made this a lot harder is that everyone's working from home now. Right? So a lot of the attestations need to come from a process yeah. and not from Nick doing a review of my code because you're not sitting next to me anymore. Makes it a lot harder, that's for sure. You're obviously out there in the industry as a thought leader in this space. You present a lot at conferences around the world. Are there any questions that you've got that have made a real impact on how you think about things going forward? And have there been other talks that you've listened to that have got your attention over the past six months that you've been getting back out there and uh, listening to what people have been thinking about while they've been locked away and squirreling away in the pandemic times? I spend a lot of time at the moment, really, realistically, with this Gen AI topic, to be completely honest. And I find it amazing because if I go on my LinkedIn, I would say 80% of the posts have something to do with Gen AI, yeah. right, good or bad. But just... The people who really deeply think about the impact of that and not the hype side, not the, it will take 50% of our engineers away, but really on, on why that for us as a, as a culture, I find fascinating. And so I'll give you two examples. There's this kind of arms race on AI where we have AI created content. And because you can't consume that anymore because it's too much, you have AI basically consuming it and synthesizing it to the point of what you need. So you have this arms race, which it's the technology arms race, but also it is just the amount of energy it consumes and the amount of kind of just us having to be aware that technology is not the answer by itself. And you need to be ethically, responsibly using that, knowing that the cost of that is basically lots of energy, lots of fossil fuel being burned yeah. for you to do a KI, like a chat GBT, send an email to my boss that I'm sick which consumes an 100x or 1,000x the amount of energy than a, a, a Google search for a template. So there's an environmental angle here to the whole Absolutely. AI movement. And then really a responsibility about that, so that you're not just using it for every little thing, which is what's going which to happen. Which you're doing right now. <laughs> exactly, right? And just really understanding that you don't think that it doesn't add actually value. And then there's a the cultural aspect as well. They very often talk about this in the context of law. I think I used this example recently with my leadership group where in the early 1900s, if you were to emerge of the top 10 companies in the world, the contract would be 40 pages. With the advent of the computer, they became 400 or 1,000 pages because you had copy-paste. With Gen AI, probably 10,000 yeah. pages. So just the amount of contracts and content that can be created and consumed means we're just creating more and more fluff. And so you don't have to worry about going to a lawyer for a lawsuit. Just let Gen AI basically post it for you. And you have this whole like social systems 
will get stressed that they didn't need to in the past. Yeah. Right? Because you have all these transaction costs that become lower, you can create a more and more content. So it's a very, very interesting space. Not necessarily directly related to my space, but oh my God, we're going to do the same for software. So think about that, but we're going to create more and more average software, really fluffy stuff. All that consumes more consumption cost on the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, right? So really that to me is the next barrier of something that we really need to think differently than we do right now. Fascinating. We we can talk about this for a while, but we're just getting the the wrap up here. So Mirko, is there anything you want to leave the the listeners with today? We've talked about the importance of engineering and we've stepped into DevOps. Is there anything that you want to leave with the audience my, it, my main thing for everyone is like all this everything that we've done with agile devops sre platform engineering if you're trying to solve problems and i would really everyone to think go back and this is not about the tool this is not about the message this is not about a specific practice it is about you understanding your specific problems and finding answers to it use your whole toolkit to solve your problems and if you need a friend have anyone on the shoulder in the industry talk to them get an external viewpoint and then go after it and solve your problem Awesome. Mirko, thank you very much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much. Cheers, mate. Bye. You've been listening to Scaling Enterprise Agility, a podcast from Atlassian and Accenture. You can learn more about Agile Australia, where this conversation was recorded, as well as the work Atlassian and Accenture are doing together by using the links in our show notes. We'll be back with more conversations soon. Follow us now in your podcast app and you won't miss an episode.